can invite you to remain standing for our scripture, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 23 through 25. Jesus said this, Then if somebody says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or he's over here, don't believe it. False Christs and false prophets will appear, and they will offer great signs and wonders in order to deceive, if possible, even to those whom God has chosen. Look, I've told you ahead of time. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Good morning. This morning we're continuing our uh, summer sermon series where we're focusing on the ways that we can refill our internal tanks and reserves after having drawn on them and in many cases or at times depleting them um, over the past few weeks or past two years. Um, And so each week we've been looking at ways that we might focus on ourselves and focus on our relationship with God and our need to be refilled by Him. And so the first Sunday, we took a few minutes to talk or to end the sermon with the suggestion of how we might spend five minutes a day with nothing before us except a being in the presence of God. And so that means uh, no phone, no tablet, no television, no radio, nor whatever the distraction is that you want to put in there. Just taking time to make sure that, that we are sitting in the presence of God to intentionally focus on Him to be refreshed, to be renewed, and to be replenished. And for me, or in my experience, that's a good time for me to just clear my mind and spend a few minutes with God. The second week we asked and we looked at how we might turn to God in prayer by asking God for strength. Strength of God's is God's to give, and God is willing and able to give it to us, and we'd have to ask for it. And we can look in the Scriptures and we can see just in the Gospels how Jesus himself, who was God, even had to turn to God the Father in prayer to ask him for strength. And so for us, that should be an encouragement because it means that even Jesus needed to ask God for strength. And so it's not um, out of our realm of, of possibility or it's not beyond us being able to ask God for strength ourselves. And Jesus asked for strength even as he was led to the cross. And so last week we took a few minutes to to look at how God equips and enables us to be the very vessels in which he chooses to dwell. We were reminded in the Old Testament that the focus was the rebuilding of the temple and it was the tabernacle and it was these two places where God had chosen in his relationship with the people Israel to, to be physically present with them. And so in the tabernacle, as they wandered through the wilderness and they set the tabernacle up each, at the end of each day, the Spirit of God would descend like a cloud upon the tent and they would know that God was there in their midst. The same would occur in the temple as the people knew that God descended into the Holy of Holies to reside in their midst. And we were reminded last week that that is no longer the case for us today as Christians. And so rather than the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem for, for God to be present, What God has chosen and what God has promised to do and what God does is he chooses to reside in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is kind of daunting if you think about it, where before all of the people of Israel could look to one place and see and know that that's where God was, now God can be in each of us. Which is a little scary if I'm not being very nice to people, because if God's in me, then I'm not representing God well. But it also can encourage us, it can equip us, it can help us to do and to be the church and to be the followers of Jesus that God has created each of us to be. And so this morning I want to spend some time to think about how you and I cannot be fully refueled or revitalized without making Jesus our King. 
And the first question I think that we need to ask of ourselves in this question is just to say, what am I pursuing in my life? And maybe we can go further on this, and maybe we can evaluate what we are placing, our time, our energy, our effort, our emphasis, whatever word is that you want to describe, and how am I doing those things that, that give me fulfillment? Because my guess is for many of us, we can look at it and say, well, yeah, this is what gives me fulfillment. This is what gives me fulfillment. And these are all basic things we need to ask. And I think when we boil them down, they all come down to the same common question, common need, or internal desire that we all have at some level and at some, um, at some yearning. We all want to return to the perfect place and this perfect relationship with God. Now see, this is a need that I believe every human has, and it exists in everyone whether we recognize it or not, because we are created to be in relationship with God. We yearn to be back in relationship with God, and in short, we yearn to return to Eden. Which if you read Genesis, Eden is this perfect place. It's this place without sin. It's a place without shortage or conflict. It's a place where we are able to be in the presence of God. And you and I have this internal desire, this internal um, yearning, this internal drive to take us back to this place. And so what we try to do is we try to fill that void with either things or, or people or, or other things. And we do that without realizing that trying to fill that void is a heart problem that can only be filled by God. And this is a human need. It's not exclusive to us being Christian. It's not exclusive to people who follow God. It's a heart need. And it's a thing that, that humans have experienced and that humans have dealt with throughout history as we have all sought to create our own false Edens. As we attempt to fulfill those needs that only God can fill. Now, I think there are plenty of examples that all of us can list if we think of false Edens, false times that, that people have, have set things up or tried to do different things. And you could probably think of different ones. I just thought of some that are back in history because if you go historically to ones that people look at and they're not really positive, then, then you and I don't get focused on the modern and we get sidetracked, okay? So throughout history, people have tried to create perfect places or communities where everything was common, bills would be non-existent, and everyone lived in harmony. They tried to create a false Eden, didn't they? In most of those cases, or all of those cases, it failed. Nations have tried to do the same thing. Now, we can go way back, you know, 1900s. The Russian Revolution uh, was a promise for a false Eden. They promised to end World War I, to give land to the peasants, bread to the urban workers. They promised everything would be equal, didn't they? Ten million people were killed, at least. A select few benefited from the oppression, and in time, 280 million people are now you know, trying to pick up their lives, and, and they're still rebuilding Russia from that time, and they're trying to move forward. Of course, it's a little different to say that now with Russia and the Ukraine, but it was still a false Eden that they tried to create, right? China made a similar promise with the Great Leap Forward. You know, promises that everyone would have, that everyone would get what they wanted. And since that time, between 40 and 80 million people are rumored to have been killed. Hitler, 
same thing. Didn't he promise a false Eden? He promised this perfect society, these perfect people, this, this perfect environment, everything. And in that pursuit, over 6 million Jews were killed along the way with physically and mentally handicapped, the disabled, and all of those who were considered undesirable and put to death. So every one of these examples, if you really go back and look at the history and about the way that, that they presented it to the people, they presented them this picture of this perfect place, of this harmony, of this Eden. And in every one of them, they pushed religion out. And in pushing religion out, they pushed out the basic moral framework that you and I are able to, to find and to have that religion provides for us. And so instead of looking to, to God or looking to, to really anything, they taught a version of you don't need God if you're a God yourself, didn't they? And so every one of them held on to this false promise that they could do what no other had done. That they would be the exception. Because of all of them operated on a vain idea that they were better. But see, without a moral compass, you and I aren't able to find where we need to be. Without a moral compass, we're not able to look at the actions that others commit and the actions that we commit and consider them or look to them as sin. Without a moral compass, you and I push out those common moral things that all of us can agree are, are bad. And in all those situations, they pushed God out and made the vain claim that man is sinless. Now, I think we can look back and say, how did they believe it? And I think it's because every one of those examples fed into the yearning that you and I have to return to Eden. It's because all of us want to experience the kingdom. We all want the benefit of the kingdom. We all want to, to sit in the presence of Jesus, whether we know it or not. But too often we try to experience the kingdom without submitting to the king. And so we want Eden without wanting the one that makes Eden the place that you and I really desire. And so what we need to focus on is the fact that it's in our nature to do this. I mean, that's why Jesus is telling the, the disciples, what does he say? Look out for false prophets. Look out for those that are going to mislead you. Look out for those that are going to tell you and, and give you promises that, that are going to be great and grandiose. And really, they're going to be ones that they can't keep. Because he knows exactly what you and I are going through and what you and I are tempted by. And that's because he knows that it's in our nature to create these false Edens for ourselves. Now for us, it might be a little smaller scale than some of the examples that I've already used. But I think false Edens are things that, that we can put our eyes on and we can put our hands on or maybe we can go to and we can make them the, the thing. And so whether it's vehicles or property or travel or experiences or possessions, any one of those things, I mean, you could probably list some other things, but all they are is they're things that, that come out in the battle over our hearts because it's a battle of good and evil. And see, friends, the, the evil one doesn't get in our face and, and cause us to to you know speak out against god or speak out against jesus or do these dramatic things but all the evil one has to do is get you and i focused on other things that are these false edens in our lives because when we're focused on those other things we're not focusing on god 
What the evil one does is, is puts before us things that, that draw our attention. So that our attention is not on a relationship with God and it's not on our prayer life and it's not on being in God's word and it's not on surrounding ourselves with others, fellow believers, to strengthen and to hone and to build. And see, here's the thing, is it can be different for every one of us. And that's because the evil one knows your heart. Now, I'm not saying that the evil one could, you know, it, we control our heart when we give it over to God, but the evil one knows the things that are going to draw our eyes away. The things that make you feel like a king, the main, things that make you feel like a queen, the, the things that make you feel like you're, you're on the top of the world. And see, the evil one gets us to focus on those things. Because often their short-term highs, their short-term senses of fulfillment, their short-term feelings of accomplishment, even if each of those things take us farther and farther and farther from God and the life that He wants for us. See, as we're trying to build a kingdom without the king, we get so focused on the things that, that we think we're in control of rather than, than humbly conceding and acknowledging that, that God is in control. And so we work hard, so hard to, to create this false Eden that, that we're willing to choose almost anything to get our happiness back. Because often we find ourselves in these false Edens, these false places, these false experiences. And once we get there, we realize we're not happy. They're not fulfilling. They don't meet whatever need is that we thought they're going to meet. And so we find ourselves there. Even if the happiness is short term. So I was thinking about it. The Bible gives us a great example about how as humans, you and I are willing to go back to experience the short term happiness or short term contentment that the false Eden provides. If you look in the Old Testament book of Exodus, the people of Israel have followed Moses out of Egypt. They've crossed the sea to escape Pharaoh's army. And if you look in Exodus 15, they've begun to finally realize what it means to be wandering in the wilderness and what it means to be traveling with Moses and what the commitment it's going to take for them to get to the promised land. And so uh, they've been wandering in the desert and they've begun to look back at Egypt and the comfort that they now remember. And so they begin to complain to Moses and to Aaron. And their complaint was that they were running out of food, that they didn't have enough food, and, and that Moses and Aaron, they just brought them out into the wilderness to die. And so they said, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you've brought us out of this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Friends, I can't think of a better false Eden picture in the Bible than this one. The Israelites have forgotten the slavery that they had been crying out to God from. They had forgotten the mistreatment at the hands of the Egyptians. They were willing to return to Egypt, even if that meant slavery, even if that meant mistreatment, even if that meant everything, just so that they could satisfy that short-term need that they were experiencing at that time. See, they wanted this, and they were willing to do whatever it took to get there, even if that meant putting the shackles of slavery back on. And you know why our temptations to, to, that lead us to, to a false Eden will not take us back to physical slavery, 
I can tell you what it will do is lead us on a misdirected path for a perfect life or a perceived perfect situation. And so while we search for perfect, perfect, sometimes we miss the path that leads us to the King. That leads us to Jesus who has promised to refill us and who has promised to refuel us and who has promised to be with us. And He does so out of His love for each of us. In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 7, 37 through 38, it says, One on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, All who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the Scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. Also in Matthew, Jesus said something similar. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Friends, Jesus promises to give us the closest thing to Eden that we can ever imagine. He will hold our burdens, and he will give us the living water that comes from God himself. Day in and day out. We have to choose, though, to make him our king. King of our hearts, king of our lives, king of our decisions. We have to make him king to where everything is oriented to him. And it's with him as our king that we have hope and new life, that we have renewal, and that we are refueled as God breathes his very hope into each of us. A life in Jesus brings us restoration to all things. It brings us renewal. It brings us refilling of our souls as He gives us endurance and as He gives us strength that only God can fill. And so it's as the hymn says, turn your longings on Jesus. Make Him your King and all your longings will be fulfilled. Pray for restoration, for renewal, and for clarity and making sure that what we are pursuing and investing in is not a false Eden but the true life of Christ. We have to choose Jesus instead of the short fix the new project, or the easy change. We have to choose the life that, get, that fills us over the long term and not the thing that gives us a temporary fix. We have to choose Christ who is our God and who is our King because He is the only one who can and who has promised to bring us to the new Eden, the new heaven, and the new earth where we can be in the presence of God Himself. Amen.